we're going to be in Second Timothy. We're going to start in um, chapter 4, though. We're going to begin... In verse 1, and we're going to read almost to the end of the chapter, and we're going to touch on almost all of these verses. Second Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. By you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry." We'll read the rest after, but let's begin here. This is the last letter that Paul ever wrote. And he writes this letter at the end of his life. He's actually in prison. And as we'll see later, he's never... His best spiritual son, meaning the person who had really understood and caught Paul's spirit and the principles by which he lived and who had understood um, the truth that Paul had spent so many years of his excellent Christian career trying to communicate to people, which he received from the Lord Jesus. So Paul invested in the next generation, and here was Timothy, who was a young man taking care of a church, and Paul would send him around to different churches to do the work there as he was needed, and so this is Paul's like, last chance to give him his last word. So when a man knows he's about to die, as Paul knew he's going to die, he doesn't have much long. He's not wasting words here, and he's writing scripture. So these, the things that Paul says to Timothy, especially in this letter, when you read the whole letter, you can feel the weight of it, that he is dealing with very serious things, eternal things, things that matter. And so... In the, first, in the first one here, it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing, I give you this charge, preach the word. Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead. There is one thing that is sure. There is one thing that is certain. Uh, it's not that there will be... Uh, a next presidential election in the United States. We don't know. The end may come before that. Um, it's not that, what's certain, it's not that whether or not um, the sun will rise tomorrow morning. We don't know. The, what's certain, is not, it's not whether or not you will reach the end of this week. You don't know. What is sure, what is for sure, is that all of us are headed one day to the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody. Um, there's an, uh, an old um, singer, Keith, asked this gentleman, Leonard Riven, he was like, guess, where do all roads lead? He said, all roads lead to Rome. He said, no, all roads lead to the judgment seat of Christ. And that is true. No matter where you're coming from, no matter uh, what your, your situation is, at some point, all of us are headed, are headed there. Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead. And now, we don't like hearing that. Somehow, that's a disturbing message for us today. And I want to say that that is a message that has always been disturbing to all people. And um, I will show you... Um, there was one time when Paul, in a previous arrest, when he was arrested, he got to stand before a Roman governor, a Roman official, and this Roman official knew that Paul was a man of God. He was interested in listening to what Paul had to say. 
I'll read it to you, what, what, happens, what, what happens here. Um, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as, Paul, as he, Paul, spoke about faith in Jesus Christ. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, and they say, well, no, I, I, I don't want to hear about judgment anymore. I, I don't want to. Don't, 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 I don't, I don't want, it, it scares people. Why would it scare him? Because this man knew he was not, the, he was not living a life that was godly. This Roman official, Felix, because he says later, knows that they are sinners. And everybody knows there is a God, a holy and a righteous God. Now, if those two things are true, then we are in deep trouble. If I know that I'm a sinner, but then I know there is a holy God, that is a problem. Because one day I'm going to face that holy God, but then a holy God meets a sinner. What is going to happen? It's not going to be good for the sinner. And that is why... There is only one solution which Paul tells to Timothy, I charge you this, preach, verse 2, preach the word. There is no other solution. He doesn't say to Timothy, make sure the music is good. He does not say in the church, make sure that seats are comfortable. Although, um, here... But that's not what, those things are good, but that's not the priority. He told him, preach the word of God. Don't preach opinions. Don't preach what the culture wants to hear. In view of the fact that Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead, this is your priority. Preach the word of God to people. Tell them about what the Bible says. There is no other truth. There is no other philosophy out there. Um, I, and I know that there, there are people out there who claim that there is, but when you read the Word of God, the Bible, you will know this is the Word of God. When something is inspired by God, it has an integrity to it. Whether it be a song or a sermon, there's an integrity to it that all makes it all that makes it timeless, and that's true of no other. That's not that's true. That was relevant two thousand years ago. That's relevant today. And I urge you, if the word of God convicts you, don't be like Felix and say, that's enough. Go away. When it's convenient, I will call, back, I'll call you back. Like, no, the, this is the convenient time. When the word of God is convicting you, when you are feeling God telling you, now is the time, you know this is the truth, you hear that divine ultimatum, respond now. And don't say there will be another time. It is, when, you, when you hear that message that there is a judgment to come and Jesus will, live, will judge the living and the dead, respond to the word of God by repentance. That's what Felix should have done. He should have said, you know what? I hear what you're saying. If what you're saying is true, that means I'm in trouble. What should I do? And Paul would have told him, well, there's two things that you need to do. You need to repent of your sins, and you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ who died on a cross for you to save you, and you will be fine. But this man did not want to do either of those, and so and he didn't want to keep hearing a convicting message about judgment, and so he told uh, Paul, go away. Um, and, and he did not hear anymore. It's interesting. If you go read the story of what happened to Felix later, it's not, very, it's not actually very good, but I don't, I don't have time to. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage. There are three things that we do with the correct and rebuke. And we try to shy away from doing those. Nobody, not a lot of people like to be corrected. Not a lot of people like to be rebuked. But everybody likes to be encouraged. So uh, today, I mean, you can see it even in the songs that, um, uh, that are popular in the Christian world. How many songs do you know that are songs of corrections and songs of rebuke? There aren't that many, 
but there are lots of songs of encouragement. The, you know, if you read the, the, the old, the, some of the old hymns, you will find a lot of convicting um, things in, in there. Room for pleasure, room for business, but no room for he who died for you. Something to that effect. Room for Jesus, King of glory. Sinners, will you now, uh, sinner, would you, will you, will his, would you his word obey? Swing your, the, your heart's door wildly open. Beat him answer while you may. That just means you have time for a lot of things, but you all have time for God. Uh, give him time today. It's, but here's the, the thing that I, that I want to say about that. Jesus said, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. If you ask people, how do you know that Jesus Christ loves you? Most people will say it's because he died on the cross for me, and that is true. But the Bible also says, Jesus also said, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. And that's what he, wrote, he writes to the churches, um, in, to one of the churches in Revelations. And it's because Jesus, he does not go and rebuke the world, but he rebuked those he loves because he cares about us and he does not want us to go into things that will lead us to death. He does not want death in us. And so, Paul told Timothy, correct, rebuke, and encourage. This is part of his charge. I charge you because judgment is coming. Preach the word of God. Be prepared to preach it. Patience and careful instruction. We have to be patient because it takes time. Sometimes it takes people a while to get certain things to understand. It will change and they will get it. Now, God has been patient with all of us. I feel like God has been patient with me more than anybody else. I don't say that to sound spiritual. I mean that. And um, I really do, because I, I often say, if I were God, I would have fired me a long time ago. <laughs> patient with others as well. Here's what Paul says to Timothy, verse 3. Um, this is more true today, this verse 3, than it has ever been. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desire, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. In other words, people will be going to churches, and a lot of churches, what they will be doing, will be uh, teaching people what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. I know a pastor who went to seminary, and he told me, he's in his 70s now, he told me this is the formula that they taught him in Bible school. Bodies, bucks, and bricks. I'm not making this up. This is what he told me that they taught him. Bodies, bucks, and bricks. What that means, you do whatever you can, whatever you need to do, say whatever you need to say to get more bodies in the church, more people sitting. And when you have more people sitting, the more people you have, the more bucks you can collect, the more money you can get, more tithes, more offering. And with that box, with those bucks and those offerings, you are now going to be telling people what they need to hear. You will tell them what they want to hear because you want them to go find another church. And so we have brought the consumer spirit in church. So you will often hear people saying, I'm looking for a church. And when you say, what, do you, what are you looking for? Well, I don't like the music here. They preach too long. And they, they don't, I don't like they, that they talk about my sin. They don't make me feel good about myself and things like that and so forth and so forth. And so in other words, it's just like they're shopping for a car. I don't like this one. It's too short. It's too big. It's too loud. It's not smooth enough. And we bring that, we've brought sort of that um, mindset into the church. And I want to bring your attention to the fact that I said they will gather around them a great number of teachers, meaning there will be no shortage. Paul said the time will come. That time had not come yet in the days of Paul. Awesome, you are great. You've got God's going to bless you, and you are going to have health and wealth and nothing, you know, and, and, and all, these, all these such great things. Your dream, all your dreams are going to come true. Everybody wants a God like that. I'm sure even the devil wants a God like that. But the, 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 the God who tells you, no, you need to change. You need to repent. 
You need to change the way you talk to your wife. You need to change the way you talk to your husband. You need to change the way you talk to your parents. That, that kind of God, they, they, the people aren't interested in that. I tell you um, that this is going to look extremely foolish on that day when Jesus Christ will be judging the living and the dead. Why, what good would it be to stand before the Lord? You're in trouble, but you will say, but at least on earth all these preachers make me feel great about myself. It will look just so silly. And so, do not gather. I don't, there are times when I have prayed, times when I feel myself getting um, a little spiritually lazy, where I'm feeling like my heart is just growing, um, where I feel like my heart is, is, is taking it easy. I pray, I say, God, can you send me a convicting word? Can, can you send someone? Send, send someone who will wake me up and get me to, 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 to pray and to seek you and to hunger. There, there, there's one particular message, I won't, I won't name, it, name it here, that I listened by a certain minister in, in my years of college that really challenged me. I've listened to it over 50 times. Over 50 times. Because whenever I feel my, felt my heart growing a little cold, I go listen to it. It's a very good one at waking you up and making you um, rethink things in, in, a, in, in, the, in, the, in the proper way. You pray and ask the Lord. If you feel your heart is cold, your heart is not taking things seriously, Ask the Lord, Lord, send me a word. Send a preacher, send a brother, send, a, send somebody who will tell me not what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. And I thank God, um, this is a church where you will hear the word of God that you do need to, that you do need to hear. Verse 5, By you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. When you're faithful to the Word of God and to what it teaches, you will face hardship. You see, um, this is so different from what you do here today. Paul was telling Timothy, be ready for hardship. Um, in fact, in verse 10 of the previous chapter, it says, You, however, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, and suffering. He, he, did not, he was not telling Timothy a lot about, um, about being blessed and, and, and having a great and easy and smooth and wealthy life. He told him, endure hardship, um, because in the end it's going to be, to be worth it. And, and now verse, verse 6, Paul says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering the time for my departure, the time has come for my departure. Meaning Paul knew as he's writing this to Timothy that he's about to die. This is his last letter. And it is interesting when you look at the language that he uses. He said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. He was going to be beheaded. And that's what happened. They beheaded him. Uh, and... And he, and he, but he viewed it as a, a, a drink offering was an offering that was presented at the, in the Old Testament, that was presented to God. And Paul, that's, the, 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 um, that's the, the language he uses for his death. He said, yeah, they're going to kill me, but this will be a sacrifice. This will be an offering to God. In other words, you and I, every day, we can offer ourselves to the Lord daily as a sacrifice. The Bible exhorts us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. In the Old Testament, there were dead sacrifices. They killed them and then they offered them. And that was it. But you and I today, we can be living sacrifices every day, accepting to die to your own ways, and following the ways of the Lord, living a life that honors the Lord, we can be a, live, a living sacrifice. And the reason why Paul, at the very end, could say this is because he was saying to Timothy, 
This is going to be just one more way that I'm going to honor God. I have honored him by suffering, by being faithful in preaching the word of God, but now the time is coming where I'm going to honor God by the way I'm going to die. Let me pause here to say this. He, God, how, how did Paul know this, that this was his time? I have noticed that every godly man, um, godly woman, most of them, they usually know when they're reaching the end. They know when they're in that season. And the Lord makes it clear to them, and for Paul, that was also the case here. And you see, the other word that he uses here is, the time has come for my departure. He's not saying that the, the end has come for me. I'm just departing. I'm going. It's a, and the language that's used there, it's like, when you loosen a, sh a ship, when you, you take away the anchor so that the ship can, can, can go. It's like, I've been tethered to this world for long. Now I'm finally going to be let go, and I'm going to go and meet my Savior. He's not feeling sorry for himself. He's not complaining. You'll see in the next verse here, he actually sounds quite triumphant. But I do want to pause before I get in there to say, God revealed to him that he's going to go, not only that he was going to die, but he, he, God revealed to him the manner of death, where he was going to be beheaded. Now here's a question, and here is something that I think a lot of people have not understood in the Christian world about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. You remember there was a time when Daniel was put in the lion's den, what happened? God shut the mouths of the lion. Why didn't the same God who shut the mouths of the lion for Daniel not spare Paul from being beheaded? You ever thought about that? Why is that? You mean God just let his apostle, his finest apostle, just be killed like that? Yeah, that's right. Because he's a new covenant believers. In the old covenant, yeah, long life and so forth. Was, God said, if you follow me, you obey me, I'll give you land. I'll give you a long life. I'll give you lots of children. Interestingly, the prosperity preachers don't mention that one very often. They, I'll give you health. I'll give you wealth and so forth. That was true in the old covenant because it was an earthly covenant. The blessings were earthly. The promises were earthly. There's Nothing, almost nothing there in the Old Testament about the kingdom of heaven, hardly ever mentioned. All the battles were earthly. They battled the Philistine and so forth. There's hardly a mention of Satan in the Old Testament and hardly any spiritual battles there. It's all battling human beings like I'm reading right now in Joshua. That was the covenant that he had. For us today, God is, he doesn't promise us, oh, you're going to live a long life. He promises us eternal life, which is better. It's a quality of life. It's a life that the life of God comes into you and me, and it's something that not even physical death can take away from you. And so Paul is saying here, yeah, this is, this, I'm, I'm going and I'm not feeling sorry. I don't think God has been bad with me. I don't think that God is being unfair with me. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Those are the three things that Paul says. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Does that sound arrogant? I, 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 does that sound like a man, come on, Paul, you're not supposed to say that, come on, that's not humble. You have to say, I hope I kept the faith, I mean, I hope I have kept, no, no, he says, I know, I'm not lying. I live my life in a way that I know I fought the good fight, and I finished the race and I've kept the faith. And I want to say to you and, and to me, to everyone here, there, the Christian life is a fight. I fought a good fight. It does not say I walked a nice walk or I danced a good dance and now I'm done. He said I fought a good fight. The Christian life is a fight. What do you fight? You fight sin. You fight Satan. You fight temptation. You fight bitterness and anger and resentment. You, you, you fight worldliness and carnality. You fight all of these things. And it, it, it is not surprising. So if you found that it's been difficult, it's been a struggle, that is normal. People often say, the other Christian life is hard. Look, I'm being tempted. Well, that's like 
a soldier in, in, in Afghanistan or Iraq saying, can you believe it? They're shooting at me. Well, it's a war. That's normal. You will be shot at, but the guarantee that we have is that we do not have to be defeated in our battles. God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. We can be guaranteed that if we walk with the Lord, we, we stay hand in hand, closely tied to him, we're going to be fine. Say So I fought the good fight. And it, it's worth pausing here and asking the fights that you get into. We all, you'll get into fight. You, 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 if you look at the things that people fight over, the fight over inheritance, parent die, and people are fighting over who's going to get what, fight over who's got the nicest car, who's got the, the biggest degrees, who's more famous, who's the billionaire with more money. They fight over election results and things like Paul was not in that fight. He fought the good fight. Over the past two years, Christians have been distracted by a lot of different fights. They fought people over masks. They fought people over vaccinations. They fought people over a lot of other things. You can't engage in those fights. I'm not telling you which side to pick, but I'm just saying for a Christian, there is a fight we are called to fight. It's not the fight against hunger. It's not the fight against poverty. All atheists can try to find po fight poverty. Atheists can try to fight hunger. Hindus, Muslims, everybody can try to fight it. But a Christian, the fight that we fight, it is the fight to be transformed and be more like Jesus Christ day by day and the fight to make Jesus Christ known to the world. That's the fight that we're in. Every other fight is a distraction if you're a Christian. And so, and he says, I, and I've finished the race. He doesn't say, he, he doesn't say, I will finish the race. See, oftentimes somebody dies, and then you hear at the funeral, okay, they finished the race because they died. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You finish the race, and then you die. <laughs> right? Okay. So Paul finished. He said, I'm done, and there, there is a race. There is a race. And that race is not that we are competing against each other. We're competing against God's expectations for each one of us. God has a plan for you, has a purpose for you, has a purpose for me. My purpose is, is different from Mary's. Hers is different from Stephanie's and so forth. So each one of us is going to be graded or based on what God expected of us. And that's why... You hear Jesus, one of the parables that he gave was that there were three people. One was given one talent, the other was given two talents, the other was given five talents. Now, the one who was given one was only expected to produce one more. The one who had two was only expected to produce two more. The one who had five was expected to produce only five more. So God did not expect the one with two to, to, to uh, produce five. And when you read that parable... The same reward was given to the one who had five and produced five as the one who had two given to them and produced two more. They did not expect, it was God expected him to produce two and gave him the ability for two. And this other person was given the, the, the ability for, for five and was expected to produce five. They both got the same reward. The one who had one talent did not produce anything. He was judged. And so there is a race, and that race is not against anybody else, but it is against God's expectations for you. And then he says, I have kept the faith. You know, it is um, the spiritual life often I think of it, it's like, um, it's, like a, it's, almost like, it's almost like flying. It matters more how you land than how you took off. You know what I mean? So you might have a bumpy takeoff. As long as you land safely, you're okay. So it's almost like that verse in, 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 um, in, in Ecclesiastes that says, the end of a matter is more important than its beginning. And the day of death more important than the day of birth. Because it's more important how you end up than how you started off. I say that because Paul says, I kept the faith. Very often you see a lot of people started well in their Christian walk. They loved the Lord. They loved Jesus. They prayed. They fasted. All they wanted was the Lord. 
you meet them 10 years later, 20 years later, they may still come to church, but they've more or less lost faith. Either they've become distracted by money, by success, worldly success, or they've gotten um, discouraged by trials and suffering and whatever happened to them. And I know people like that. They've, they, they've, they, they've quit the faith. They've quit. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people who still believe that God answers prayers, that God loves us, that his word is true? Paul says he kept the faith to the very end. And verse 8, he says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. you got to read that again. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. He was confident. He has no say. He said, I know how I live. I fought the fight, good fight, finished my race, kept the faith. Now God, who is righteous, who always does what is right, only has one thing to do now, he will give me a crown of righteousness. You and I are supposed to be able to say that when your day comes. You are supposed to be able to say that, I fought the good fight, I spent my energies where it mattered, I finished my race, I did what God expected for me to do with my life, and I have kept my faith in him. And now I know, this is not bragging, this is not pride, this is just fact. God, who does what is right, only has one option. He's going to give me the, the, the crown of righteousness. And notice here, it says it will, uh, it, it, it will be an award. He will award it to me. And, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing now, that's a little bit, that's one of those verses that's, that you got to pause and think. Those who have longed for his appearing. Let me ask you, this is an honest question. This is an honest question. Look, I used to ask myself this in, in my early days, earlier days of my Christian life. Do I really want Jesus to come back? Do I long for his appearing? Am I, am I longing, or do you say, you know, God, don't come back now. I got plans for my life. I, I, I want a job. I want to do this. I want to have kids. I want to say, after that, you can come. No, just, I used to think like that. There was a stage when I, look, I've been in church all my life. I, I was taken to church when I was six months old. I know people in church think a lot of things they don't say. <laughs> they don't know if I say this, everybody would think I'm unspiritual. So, but it, uh, it, it's, and, and it's, I, I got saved when I was 10, and, I, and I, I'm, I just turned 40. It's been 30 years. And so I, I know what, what gets us. There was time when I was like, God, I, I, got, am, I got my ambitions. I got, this was early on. This was just when I was, when I was a kid. So, but you see, I, I think about this. No, those who have longed for his appearing, do you want Jesus to come back? Is there a longing in your heart? Now, I don't say this to condemn you, and I don't say this to make you feel bad, but I want to tell you the truth. If you have no desire for the return of Jesus, he says one thing, you don't love him. You do not love him. Now, that's the truth. I, I'm, not, now, I'm not questioning your salvation or anything like that, but I'm just telling you. You don't love him like that. Listen, when a guy likes a girl, okay, he, he wants to see her. Now, it doesn't matter whether he says he's busier than the president of the United States. When the girl says, I'm available to hang out tomorrow at 4 p.m., he will make 4 p.m. available on his schedule. Does not matter. It doesn't matter how many unanswered texts he's got. When she texts him, he is going to read it. He's going to reread it, and he's going to reread it. <laughs> And he's going to respond, probably with more words than she used. That's, the, that's what happened. Now, it's no different when you love the Lord. You hunger to see him. You hunger to hear from him. And your heart rejoices 
when you have heard from him and you look forward to seeing him. Now, love for the Lord grows. If you know that that's not your heart, um, ask the Lord, or tell the Lord, because the first commandment, the number one commandment, as I talked about back in, in the fall one Tuesday night here, the main thing of the Christian life is about one thing. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's the first commandment. It's now you will evangelize, you will preach the gospel, you will work for your God with all your heart as you will love the Lord your God. So there is a crown for those. And, and it's interesting because, as I said back then, the best workers are the lovers. Those who love the Lord are those who work best. If you don't love the Lord, you try to work. You, you may end up like the older brother, the older brother of the prodigal son. I've slaved and worked for you so hard you never gave me anything. You develop a, a very twisted view of God if you try to serve him and sacrifice without loving him. So anyways, there's, there's that. And I want to close here by um, saying, so look, all of us, the, that day is coming for all of us. Whether Jesus returns or we leave this world and go, this phase of life is going to come to an end. The, the, the Lord is coming, and, and, or, or you will be gone, or I will be gone, or, and, and, or the Lord will come back. But on that day, whenever that day is, when your time comes, um, it will not matter what you had on this earth. It will not matter your degrees, um, how many degrees you had, how much money you had, um, how successful your children were, um, whatever accolade you might have received in this world. God created life such that the only thing that we can take with us out of this world is our relationship with him. Everything else we leave behind, even the body we leave behind, the only thing God has constructed is such that the only thing that cannot be taken away from us is, is our relationship with him. One of the things that COVID and the pandemic taught us is that things can be taken away from us easily. In the moment, you can lose stuff. You can lose your entertainment. You can lose the family member. You can lose it. Everything can change in a moment. But Jesus told uh, Martha something, he said, Mary had chosen the better part which will now be taken away from her. There's one thing that nobody can ever take away from you, that's your relationship with the Lord. Um, we're now going to be showing off when that day comes for me. I, I, look, I'm not against people being successful, getting degrees and things like that, but that's not what we will be showing. We're not going to go to heaven. I'm not going to go to heaven and say to God, God, look at all the patents I got. Aren't you, aren't you impressed, right? It's, it's not going to be, it's going to be how did we walk? How did we run our race? Did we keep the faith? Did we love the Lord? So here are uh, some things that I, we, we do want to ask, like how did Paul, what were the, when I see a man like this, I want to ask what's the secret of his life? How did he um, end up like this? And may I suggest just some few things that, um, in, that we see in the next verses here. Because when you see a man who ends well, it means that there was a pattern of behavior that he had all along that he kept until the end. He had certain priorities, certain practices that he kept all the way to the end. So the things that you see Paul doing at the very end of his life, knowing that the end is coming for him, are likely very important things that you and I can learn from. And there are simple things, they almost sound too simple. But I have learned, you know, like with great, great spirituality often comes with great simplicity. It doesn't have to be complicated for it to be spiritual and true. So here's what he says to, um, to Timothy. He said, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. This was a man who was a Christian, Demas. It was mentioned in a previous letter. He worked with Paul, um, but 
after some time, was like, no, this Christian life too, too much. He, he loved this world, he, the, the things of this world, the pleasure, the comforts of this world. And when the time came to choose between the comforts of this world and the gospel and continuing with Paul, he chose the world. He has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Christian has gone to Galatia and Titus to Damascus. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful for me in my ministry. Now, Luke is the, the doctor who wrote the, the gospel of, of Luke. God provided uh, at, at that time at least one person, and, and that's often true. God will, in, in your darkest moment when you need someone, God will always provide someone to bring you a word, to bring you something when you need it. But here's three things that Paul says to bring. He says, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. So the first thing he says, to there's three bring here, and one of the first one is bring Mark. Now Mark is the writer of the Gospel of Mark, who earlier had tried to work with Paul as a young man when Paul went on his first missionary journey, but he got tired or discouraged or something, and he ended up deserting him, and he ended up quitting the missionary trip early, on the next missionary trip, Paul did not want to take him with him. He's like, no, we're not taking him. He's going to desert, desert us again. We're not taking him. And he actually had an argument with Barnabas that I'm not going to get into tonight. There's no time. But Paul did not see Mark as ready to serve the Lord at that stage of his life. But now, later, Mark had changed. And so Paul also changed. He says that now he's useful to me in my ministry. Something had happened with Mark. And I want to encourage you, um, if, as you grow spiritually, it's very important to be careful how you look at other people. Don't treat people based on their mistakes from 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Ask yourself, has the Lord not done a work with them and changed them? People do change. And... Um, Sometimes, you know, God's children take a while to change. Don't you know some of God's children who have taken a while to change? I know one, you. Okay. God's taken a while. You took some time to change. And God's been working on you. God's been working on me. And so Mark changed, and Paul took, took him. And it's like, now bring him in this, in this life. It's like, I, I, need, I need Mark. I need a, a, a helper. In my, in my ministry, so at the, to the very end of his life, Paul is not a man who feels he's self-sufficient. He still knows he needs help. He needs people. He needs his brothers. And there are no lone rangers in the, in the, in, in the, new, in the new covenant, in the New Testament. It's interesting because you may see a lone ranger in Elijah and so forth in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, one thing Jesus introduced is the two-by-two two concept. He sent them two-by-two two because in the New Covenant, Jesus is building a body, the church. There are no lone rangers. The spirit of the lone ranger is not the spirit of God. Paul, in, at this time, there's a verse that really blessed me that I, that I, uh, I read this last reading through the Bible. This is Paul when he arrived in Rome. It says that um, the brothers, the brothers. Uh, it says that there, there we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. That's Luke speaking with Paul. This is way, way back, another imprisonment. And he said that the brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the form of Apius and the three taverns to meet to meet us at the sight of these men. Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Wait, what? Paul the Apostle, after seeing all these miracles and so forth, after teaching and planting churches, he was still encouraged when he saw his brothers. At the sight of this man, Paul thanked God and he was encouraged. Never get into this sense where you feel like, okay, I'm spiritual enough, I'm self-sufficient, I don't need anybody, I can just be at home with my Bible. That's not true. Paul said, bring bring, bring." Mark, because he's useful. Um, I sent it to Ephesus and verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak I left uh, with Carpus at Troas. Well, so I guess winter was coming and he needed his cloak. Now that's interesting. Why is that detail there? It means Paul, 
who has planted all these churches and has been a man uh, who could have written a letter, said, hey, Philippians, Colossians, folks, you know, I need a coat. Just, just send me a coat. And he could have done that, but he did not want to be a burden to anyone. He, 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 he was like, no, you know what? I have a cloak that I left somewhere. Bring it to me. It means that he was not a man who was rich, who had a huge wardrobe. He accepted to live in poverty, given the situation in which, in which he was. And he, he, he was not a man full of greed. It was not a man fettered um, to the things and the riches of this world. And he did not want to be imposing his, his needs on anybody. So he says to, to, to Timothy, bring me my cloak. Very different from what you hear today from prosperity preachers who are begging money from people who are poorer than them, asking them to send them money so they can live even more opulently than they're already living. Paul was not like that. The third thing that he says, which is very interesting, he says, and my scrolls, especially the parchment. He said, bring me my scrolls. You know, in those days, the books were in scrolls. And those scrolls is the Bible. Paul asked Timothy, bring me my books, bring me the Bible. You mean, Paul, in your last days? I mean, this is your last lap around the track. What do you need the Bible for? Yeah, I do need the Word of God. I do need the word of God. But you've, you've written the, a good chunk of the Bible. You already know a lot, but yeah, I still need to read it. There is no day that will come when you and I don't need to read the word of God. You need to read the Bible. I need to read the Bible every day. You need to eat every day. You, need, you eat every day, read the Bible every day. Whether it be a verse, a chapter, please read the word of God. Um, I have to close soon, but I, listen, I, I cannot tell you how much I wish every Christian, every believer, took the time to read the Word of God from beginning to end. A lot of you have heard me say this, it's a broken record, but I'll say it again. It takes 15 minutes a day to read the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Most people, most Christians, I've never read it. I, was, I grew up in church. We read the Bible at home. Um, here and there, we had a devotional that we went through. But I was 15 years old. Somebody gave me a pamphlet on the first Sunday of that year that says it takes only 15 minutes a, a day to read the Bible in a year. Yeah, most Christians have never read it. I was like, whoa, that's me. I never read it. <laughs> I could have. And then there was a calendar that gave you what to read every day so you can read it from Genesis to Revelation in one year. And I took that and I read it. And I was so sorry that I had not done it earlier. Because it doesn't matter how good a preacher you have in a church. There are 52 weeks, there are 52 Sundays in a year. There are 66 books in the Bible. Even if the pastor preaches one sermon from every book of the Bible, in a whole year he will not touch every book of the Bible. So when you just never read it for yourself from beginning to end, you, it's like what you have a 70-hour movie, you watch 20 seconds from the beginning, you watch 15-second clip from the middle, and, the, it's, and then a 20-second clip in the end, and they're the most popular 15 and 20 second clips that everybody often repeats and so forth. And that ends up why people know John 3.16, maybe Philippians 4 something, 4.6. And, so, and that's what you, you miss out on the entire movie. Take the time to read the word of God for yourself. 15 minutes are not a lot. Let's be honest, you spend more time on Facebook and Twitter every day than, than, more than, than 15 minutes. So there's really no excuse. There really is no excuse. After you've been a believer for a couple of years, I think you should have read at least the entire New Testament, if not the entire Bible. So please do that. For and I tell you, when I, I, I read it, it was almost like, my, there's so much I was missing, so much that I was missing. And since then, I've been on a loop, Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, to this, to this day. And you'll still continue to find good things. And so 
the last thing that I want to mention here is this is very this is very important. Verse fourteen, uh, verse fourteen through the end. Um, I'm going to leave this with you. Please, please. I, I know that I've been talking for for a long time, but I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna end end now. Alexander, the metal worker, did a great deal of harm. Did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him. One of the things that Paul was talking about at the end is how he dealt with people who hurt him. This man, Alexander, the metal worker, did a lot of great deal of harm to Paul. And listen to what Paul says. The Lord will repay him. Not me. The Lord. I'm not going to do anything to him. I'm not going to wish him any evil, but I know the Lord will repay him because the Bible says, vengeance belongs to the Lord, I will repay. God knows, listen, God knows those who have done wrong to you. You don't have to tell him. He knows, and he's not a lazy judge. He will, he will call people to account in his own way, in his own time, however he's going to do it. But Paul knew that. And then verse 16, at my first defense... No one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Meaning when Paul was having his trial, the first trial, his first court appearance, nobody wanted to show up and be a good witness for Paul to say, no, he didn't do all that bad stuff you're, 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 you're accusing him. Why? Because when somebody is an unpopular prisoner, nobody wants to be associated with him. Now, I know today Paul is cool. Everybody names their son Paul. But in those days, Paul was not very popular. And, and we often don't think of Paul as an unpopular character, but Christians shunned Paul. No one wanted to be around him when he was in court because they don't want to be arrested. They don't want their reputation sullied. Not a lot of people have the courage to, to send. Here's what Paul says. May it not be held against them. May it not be held against them. Was there a time when you were in need and nobody helped you? Please say with Paul, may it not be held against them. Were you in a place where people could have defended you and nobody did? Somebody said a lie against you and other people knew that that's not the whole story, that's half the story, that's a false story, but no one said anything? God knows all of that. Leave it to the Lord, may it not be held against them. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed to the, the Gentile, might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.